Welcome to another episode of The Raven Narratives. I'm Tom Yoder. And I'm Sarah Severson, and we're the co-producers of The Raven Narratives. The story you're about to hear was told by Lily Diane in October at our events at the Mancus United Methodist Church and the Durango Arts Center, when the theme was belonging. These events were done in collaboration with the Mancus Creative District's We All Belong Arts and Society grant, awarded through Colorado Creative Industries. Lily is a Durango-born artist, musician, and mixed-media art teacher. She lives in Mancus on a hilltop she's planted with thousands of hollyhock seeds. As an advocate for foster care, PTSD awareness, and sowing seeds of encouragement, Lily knows firsthand the power of uplifting words and how they can transform a battered soul into a work of art. She calls herself a human sparkler and has dedicated her life to helping others, especially teens, shine their lights boldly and brightly in the world. Here is Lily's story. Thank you. It was shortly after the summer of love in 1967 when I stuck my thumb out on an on-ramp in Ventura, California. I was headed to San Francisco, to the Haight-Ashbury district. In that era, it was kind of electric, similar to today's atmosphere. And every freeway northbound, you would see all these uh, hippies, flower children, and they were all going to San Francisco. They were protesting the Vietnam War and civil rights. And I thought they looked kind of cool, and I wanted to belong to them. So I wasn't going to San Francisco to protest. I was going there to hide. You see, I was 16 years old, and I was a habitual runaway. I was running from a home that my mother brought in a sexual predator, and I'd been fighting off that since I was 12 years old. So I decided my life belonged to myself, and I became a runner. Well, I made it to the Bay Area, but I never made it to the hate. The thugs and thieves and pimps found me first. And they tried to convince me that I belonged to them. But I knew I didn't. So when the opportunity presented itself for escape, I ran. And I ran and I ran. A few months later, I was arrested. And at that time, I became what they call a ward of the court. I belonged to the state of California. Upon recommendations of all the probation officers, the psychiatrists, the school officials, and even my natural mother, they decided that I would be best going to California Youth Authority until I was 21 years old. Well, I knew I didn't belong there. So I got a public defender, and I fought. It took me months, but I finally won one chance in a foster home. And that's all I wanted was a foster home, some place that I could lay my head, close my eyes, and not worry about what was happening next. Well, a few weeks later, uh, my probation officer said, we've got a prospective family that wants to meet you. Now, you think I'd be happy about that. I wasn't. I was terrified. I was terrified that I might get what I deserved because I'd been told over and over how bad I was for running and not, you know, paying attention. And I had told the courts over and over and over again what had ha- was happening in my life, why I chose drugs, why I chose alcohol to numb it out. 
And I thought, I'm going to get what I deserve. It's going to be a worse home than I came from. So that day that I walked down that hall to meet this family, I wasn't walking tall. I was walking small. And my eyes were down to the floor. I thought, what do they want me for? A maid? A toy? I'd heard the horror stories. So when the guard opened the door that day, and I saw a young couple sitting there looking a little too darn happy, I was pretty confused. What do they have to be happy about? So I slid in. I sat down on the chair at the table across from them. I barely looked up. And when I did finally look up, I had my hard girl on. I did not want to show any vulnerability whatsoever. Well, they started talking and telling me about their lives. And then they started talking about their kids. And they were actually really smiling, talking about their kids. I couldn't relate. Somebody smiling and talking about their kids. And the woman, she laughed easily and frequently. And I found myself staring at her just a little bit more. And then, out of the blue, she said something to me. She said, I understand that you like to play the guitar and sing. I was like, of everything that's on my papers and my arrest record was this long, this woman mentions about singing. So I just nodded my head, yes. And she said, well, that's awesome, because if you decide to come home with us, maybe you could sing with our youth group, and they play and perform all over Southern California, inside us doing cartwheels. (laughs) On the outside, I was like, "Mm, maybe. (laughs) Even my lack of enthusiasm did not stop them from inviting me to their house the next weekend to meet the rest of the family. Wow. So that next Saturday morning when the guards let me out of my room to get ready, well, I was really excited for a couple of things. Number one, I got to wear my street clothes and put my makeup on. I was going to get to show the world what I really look like. And I might have an opportunity to sneak a cigarette while I'm out there. And if I'm not liking it too much, I can keep on running. Well, I opened up my box, and I started pulling out everything I wanted to dress my best. And the bottom of my box was my makeup. And while it looked like a couple little dried spiders at the bottom of my box, it was really my false eyelashes. And I unrolled them, glued them onto my eyeballs, and put my makeup on. Now, y'all know what Elvira looks like. Okay, well... (laughs) She wasn't alive yet, when, but she was my role model. So I slapped that stuff on. Well, I had a hair piece. Now, my hair was two, three colors of different colors, from dyeing it several times from being on the run. And, but this hair piece was chocolate brown. I slapped that puppy on. And then I pulled my dress out. My dress was cut down to here and just barely covered my tushy. Now, while you think that that's not any different than how people dress today... Well, back then, remember, we were watching Andy and Mayberry in Petticoat Junction. Hello. So I might not have been dressing appropriately for her to go meet a family. But I didn't know the difference. So I had this bra. And it was actually, I invented the first wonder bra. And um, it, it could push stuff up. And if that didn't work, you could use some socks. That worked. And then I pulled my pantyhose out of the box. Y'all remember pantyhose, right? <laughs> well, these pantyhose, when you'd sit down, stand up, they had no memory. They were still in the sitting position. <laughs> but, 
So, and they were full of runs, but I put all those runs in the back, and you don't see them when they're back there. And then I, I pulled out a really tall pair of scuffed up high heels, and I walked out into the room where all of my peers were, all the cellmates, and they were all like going, girl, you look good. And I knew I looked good because the guards were looking at me like, what the, what the, what? I will never know to this day when they opened the door for me to leave with the family, the woman was standing there, why she didn't just run. I go, I think I left something on the stove. I'll see you later. She did not. She grabbed me by the hand. She marched me down the sidewalk. They slid open the door of her um, VW van. Inside sat two little girls, one ten and one nine. And she said, meet your new big sister. (laughs) Well, they were also looking at me like that. They elbowed each other like this, didn't say a word. After I got inside the van, they informed me that we were going to a track meet. (laughs) Oh, happy day. (laughs) And I was dressed for it. (laughs) So when we got there, we were running late. And so the woman said, we're going to have to hurry because she spotted her son across the football field in a group of boys warming up, stretches. And I was like, okay, run. I don't usually run unless there's a siren behind me. But okay, I'll run. So I started running. Well, about the 20-yard line, my hair started sliding off the back of my head. (laughs) I was at the 40-yard line when the eyelashes started curling up. We don't... We don't even want to talk about the socks and the bosoms. Y'all know what clay pigeons are? Woo! They are going everywhere. The woman noticed that I was lagging behind. She turned around. She said, are you okay, honey? I said, my my hair's falling off. She said, okay, let me fix it. She pulled out some bobby pins from her purse and got my hair back in. Then she cupped my face. She said, you look just beautiful. Come on. So we started running. Well, when I stopped... I was in front of about 50 boys doing stretches and warm-ups, my peer group, and they're all looking at me like, whoa, look what the cat drug in. And I felt naked. I wanted to pull my dress up. I wanted to pull my dress down. There was not enough dress to go around. And then right in the middle of this group of boys was somebody looking a little too darn happy. And I went, oh, dear, he belongs to them. I don't know if it was their similar smiles that touched my heart or when she cupped my face and said I was beautiful when I was clearly a hot friggin' mess (laughs) or the first night that I went home with them and I pulled back the covers in my bed and discovered that she had sprinkled it with powder, a nice scented powder, after sleeping on the streets for months and months and months and crawling into a bed prison issues, heavily starched sheets. I couldn't believe it. I was the first of 11 foster children, teenagers that they took in. I'm only one of two success stories, countless other people that she's mentored and helped through the years. I went on to sing and play with that group. It led me to all the opportunities to become a professional singer, songwriter, and musician. My foster mama, she's 84 years old now. And I'm 16. I mean, (laughs) I'm 66. And we are celebrating our 50th anniversary of belonging to each other. Thank you for listening to my story. (laughs) 
Thank you, Lily, so much for telling that story. To pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives event, fill out the contact form on our website at ravennarratives.org. And we're currently looking for storytellers for our upcoming events in February of 2019, when the theme will be love. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and share these stories with your friends. Big thanks goes to photographer McCarson Lee of Red Scarf Shots. Check out the portraits of our storytellers on the gallery page of the Raven Narratives website, and be sure to visit her website at redscarfshots.com. And thanks to our fiscal nonprofit sponsor, Mancus Valley Resources. Find out more about all the wonderful projects they support in the Mancus Valley of Colorado at mancusvalleyresources.com. The website for buying Raven Narratives tickets, ravennarrativestickets.org, was created by Cortez Web Services. Find out how they can help your business online at cortezweb.com. Our theme music was written, composed, and performed by Jazar. And you can find out more about his music on SoundCloud or at freemusicarchive.org. Now for the outtake. <laughs> and be sure to visit her website at ri- <laughs> ravenscarfshots.com because that's a combination of she our website. She should just call that her. Ravenscarfshots. Yeah, tell you, why did she, she go for Adam? I don't know.